Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited about this episode of Entering the Inspiration Zone. Today, I have with me Pam Reeve. And Pam is such a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. She is, in addition to many other things, she's also the chair of American Tower, a publicly traded company. She is also at the helm of the Commonwealth Institute, an organization that helps women entrepreneurs and businesses. And she is also a mentor, advisor, very well respected. And so it's very, very exciting to have her here with me today. Welcome, Pam. Thank you, Juliet. It's so great to see you. Great to see you as well, and great to have you on the podcast. So as with all of our our, our guests, we're going to have you in a minute talk about your journey, but I want to sort of frame what we're going to be talking about today. Today's episode is called Creating Your Own Path, and this is something that Pam has done phenomenally well, so really thrilled to have this conversation. And In keeping with the framework of dream, plan, create, and achieve, which is my success framework, we're going to focus primarily on the create aspect of that and talk about how Pam has leveraged her experience, her insights, and her wisdom to create a path for herself, leveraging all of those fabulous relationships and doing so in a way that's quite authentic and helpful to so many others. So Pam, let's start with your journey. Tell us about how you got to where you are and a little bit of background so we get a better understanding of who Pam Reeve is. Thank you, Juliet. I think no one is more surprised than I am to be where I am. Never imagined when I was a youngster that I would end up with the privileged and blessed life that I have right now. And I love the title of this session because creating your own path sounds quite elegant, but I would also say I never actually did the job that I was supposed to do or hired to do. I always made it something different. And that goes back to when I was in college and I created my own major because I couldn't really find any one major that scratched the itch for me. When I worked at BCG, I ended up creating a new role uh, and was allowed to engage in that role. And it was just a tremendous experience and, and really a great building block. I ran a program for the National Endowment for the Humanities in D.C., which had a very strict definition when I started it. I had a a proposal that NEH had put together, and then I kind of threw that proposal away and and created (laughs) a new plan for the program. And then with my company, Lightbridge, there were many things that we did that are very typical of companies. We became a public company, and there are things you must do mm-hmm. as a public company. But in c- terms of the way we operate and the kind of environment I wanted to create, I felt really blessed to have the privilege to create the kind of environment that I wanted to work in. And um, so when I look back on the journey, I think it's more about how I wanted to be, what 
I valued relationships that meant a lot to me and a lot of connecting dots that otherwise might not seem connected. And right. that's what a lot of a lot of fun to do. Yeah. And you've done it in a way that when I think about your journey and where you came from, women really didn't have as many opportunities. And for you to have done those things at that time really was quite remarkable. But talk to us a little bit about you also are a mom for children. And so simultaneously, you were doing all of these things, but you also were living your life. So help us understand the context of how you were able to approach these, what I would call innovations, and to do so in ways that were obviously very successful. But help us understand the, the personal side of that. You know, I think that uh, looking back, some things seem progressive or courageous or something like that. But at the time when you're facing life choices, it's often very basic. It's resources and it's, you know, what life is throwing at you. So to answer your question directly, I was married when I was in college. I married my debate partner. Wow. (laughs) And we had children while we were in college, right? My first two are twins, still are twins, and had them just before my senior year. I think a combination of youthful energy, stubbornness, and naivete went back to school. Uh, They were kind enough to be born in August. So (laughs) right back in school in September and had my senior year and a debate year. We were away at tournaments uh, most weekends. And so I feel in a way with those two, we, we grew up together. When I started business school, my first day of business school was their first day of first grade. So, wow. <laughs> so, so it was a matter of what had to be dealt with. And again, the naivete to think, of course, this is you just build this into your life and you, you work hard and you don't sleep very much and you figure it out as you go. That marriage didn't make it all the way through. And uh, so I was a single parent when I went to business school. But then I remarried and then we had our second two kids. So mm-hmm. so I have kind of two generations of children. How mm-hmm. do you deal with that? First of all, you, you know that you can. You tap into whatever resources are available. Some folks are really fortunate to have a lot of family or, or financial resources. Um, yeah. I didn't have family around. I certainly, especially with the first two, did not have financial resources. But you, you yeah. just find a way to tap into those resources. Yeah. I want to uh, touch on that a little bit because I, you know, I know being a mom myself and, and I remember those early years and how challenging that was. And I guess I did something kind of a little bit like <laughs> going back to business school when my kids were two years old and five years mm-hmm. old. And uh, not that I would recommend that, uh, but with not having the resources and many of our moms or working parents or anyone having to raise young kids, I'm just curious about because it takes a certain amount of creativity, really, and innovation, even in that space. Just curious, what were some of the creative things that you did to support that process? Well, I think that you have to look around at what might be available to help you out and maybe do things like move, if you can, move to an Mm -hmm. area that has a school that, for example, has an after-school program. I did that when I was in business school. I lived in a very small apartment but it was near a school. The kids could walk to that school. The school had an after-school program that allowed me to go to school to work with my study group. There were a lot of families in the neighborhood. I went around with my cup of coffee, seeing if there were any teenage kids that wanted to babysit, <laughs> so I could go back in for study group at night. You know, right. you know how school is right. yeah. uh, that kind of thing. And then you yeah. have 
uh, if you're looking for it, there are like-minded and like-resourced individuals and you can trade off. I'll babysit yours if you babysit mine. Or if you can be around during the week, I'll do the weekend. I mean, you just do what you need to do to make your life work. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because oftentimes, as you know, I talk a lot about networking. And when people think about networking, they often limit it to finding a job or a very professional realm. And at the end of the day, really, the same principles apply to your personal life. So what you did, right, you created a network and resources of people who you could draw on to help to support your ultimate objectives of getting your education and so forth. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I think it's so important that when we think about networks and how important they are, that we look at the both the personal and the professional. So that's so important, Juliet. And I think that it's things that you learn over time. I think when you're first networking in your earlier days, it is all about making those connections for professional reasons for a job. And there's nothing wrong with that. That thread probably continues for a long time. But over time, it's like friendships. Mm-hmm. You know, you realize that those connections can be helpful to you if you have a technical issue or you have a real estate issue or you right. have a personal issue that you have people you can turn to to help you out. Right. Very, very important. So pivoting back to your professional story, which is quite remarkable, and we didn't talk about boards, but that too is another area. I mentioned you being on boards, but that in and of itself also was quite leading edge. We're still at a place where finally more women are getting on boards, but we're still in that space of having to fight and claw and get on. And I know that you're also a member of The Last Mile, which is an organization that helps women get on board. So talk to us about what that means for you in terms of both the giving back aspect, as well as your direct involvement and leadership of boards. I would so appreciate you asking me that question, Julia. It is so important to me and always has been. I have been around long enough that I was usually almost always the only woman and needed to kind of push my way through. And again, I think the youth and naivete early on and then the stubbornness and the insistence (laughs) as I got more mature um, allowed me to do that. And what I saw was that if I was the only female voice in the room, I always got the girl issues, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And secondly, sometimes you're, you're overlooked, you're dismissed. And, you know, even in in this era that we're in today, I talk to women all the time who feel that they are overlooked and dismissed and their great comments are ignored. And then when the guy mentions the same thing 10 minutes later, (laughs) great, you know, right. And it still happens. Right. So for me, it's very personal to have a cadre of people who think differently and who share some, but not all of the perspectives that I do, it's more important, I think, to have the different the different voices in the room. So that's a personal thing. But on, from a business perspective, I've just seen it over and over and over again. I'll turn to my experience at Lightbridge. Half of my management team was female. Half of my board was female. Uh, and we had diverse populations of uh, ethnicity and color on the board, not because Pam was trying to plant a flag, but I was trying to find the right kind of people for the work in, mm-hmm. in the case of management and my team and for my board. And it just naturally ended up being diverse. The discussions yeah. were richer and better. The decisions yeah. 
better thought out. They were just better. Everything right. Was right. Better. So right. That's, been my, that's been my personal experience. And I think a lot of research uh, these days will point to my my personal experience not being an N of one, that right. actually it's uh, it's been proven that that companies that have more diverse membership and management in their boards just perform better. Right, right. And I know that that famous uh, McKinsey study uh, supports that. You know, I want to go back to, you mentioned that naturally, right? And I'm thinking naturally for you, <laughs> <laughs> but that is not so natural that people create diverse boards and create diverse workspaces. So I want to just delve in a little bit into back to the relationships and also what you consider perhaps something that happened naturally for you about and really breaking that down a little bit, because as you know, major part of what I do is diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. And I do think that this whole notion of building relationships and cultivating those relationships and really being intentional about inclusivity is really critical to building healthy cultures. So when you say naturally, what exactly do you mean? <laughs> Tell us what well, that means. Well, I think we all carry in us our history, our upbringing and our history. And then we right. hope to enrich that or grow away from it or whatever it is when we become conscious. And I grew up in a military family. So the whole notion of the worth of people in service and all of that was really important. I was a debater in high school and college. That's all about who has the best argument. It's mm-hmm. not who's the best looking. It's mm-hmm. not who's the richest. It's not any of those things. You win or lose a debate or you get you get evaluated mm-hmm. as winning or losing the debate uh, based on the merits. And then mm-hmm. I, my first professional, uh, you know, big professional job after graduate school was at BCG, which was a complete meritocracy. Yeah. You know, your work and your ideas were the beginning, the middle and the end. Right. So when I say that it comes natural for me, I think it's a combination of all of those things. In my military upbringing, it was a naturally diverse environment. I was used to being around people who didn't look like me. That was fun and interesting, and I didn't really have anything to compare it to mm-hmm. until I got older. And then that environment where um, it didn't matter what your last name was or, as I said, any of these other elements, what did you bring to the table? Right. You know, what right. were your thoughts, what your ideas? So, so for me, that's the most natural thing in the world. And if you want to see me get really grumpy have me in an environment where someone is at a, a place because of something other than what they've contributed or their mm-hmm. merit that mm-hmm. they've gotten there because only because they know somebody or only mm-hmm. because they have the money. I think those things are fine. Those mm-hmm. are part of life. But yeah. if that's the only reason right. someone is where they are, it just makes me very grumpy. Yeah. As you know, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart and really passionate about because I think oftentimes... I hear the excuse that, well, you know, I just don't know anyone or I'm just not comfortable. And and so to the extent that people are really being intentional about creating those opportunities to meet others, for you, it was growing up in a military family and exposing yourself to these different things. And so one of the things that I, I want to point out is how important it is for people to be in other spaces and to be in spaces where you're not necessarily comfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable so that we can build and develop those relationships and skill sets and friendships where it feels unnatural, right? To be in a space where you don't have that inclusive environment. So, Well, it may be uncomfortable for a moment. It's a heck of a lot more fun. 
And I think of it like when you're going through a growth spurt and your bones hurt. Yeah, growth hurt <laughs> times, but it's really important. I mean, I felt for a long time that in my own networks in the Boston area, I didn't have enough diversity. I live in a, a very white town. It's a lovely mm-hmm. place, but it's not that diverse. And so I started just reaching out even more. I, I put together these uh, small dinners, which is half white women, half women of color, with no agenda, no fundraising, nothing like yeah. that, just for yeah. us to get to know each other yeah. and then use those connections to meet others. It's just really important to do. I think personally it's enriching, but it also is enriching for any environment that you run. Right. You get brain cells into the room, you know, and those experiences into the room. Right. But even that example that you just gave, right, putting together a dinner club or dinner group, however you want to define it, and being intentional about who you invite in order to get to know people. And that in itself is a key strategy and that anyone can employ, right? And so it's refreshing to hear the opportunities versus looking at it from a deficit standpoint of people constantly complaining that they don't have access or they don't know people, where in your case, you made it your business to get to know people. And so if I would say anything to those who are listening, who are in leadership roles and are, are thinking, well, I, I, I don't know people, you know, uh, make sure you connect with, with Pam and me, <laughs> right? Well, I, 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 have been, I have been accused of stalking. Yeah. I mean, with the Commonwealth Institute, as you know, yeah. I feel like we put on a lot of programs and yeah. I'm always yeah. looking for those diverse voices for panels right. and speeches and all that stuff. And um And I am just shameless about reaching out to people that don't know me. I don't know them. I mean, the worst that can can happen is they say no. Right. But to reach out and say, here's what I'd like from you. Here's what I can offer you. Right. You know, you game for a conversation. Right. And sometimes those make and sometimes they don't. But it's it's definitely worth doing. And anyone can do that. You don't have to be me or you. Anyone can do that. I absolutely agree. And it also requires people to be intentional, right? It's okay to if people say no, we all have to learn to hear it every now and then, or maybe not now, but I'll come later. So fantastic. Is there anything else you would want our listeners to hear that you want to share with our listeners about your experience or advice around this, creating this path that you want? Well, I guess it's the thing I often say to women that I mentor have more faith in yourself. Use your voice and use your intention. I love that you use that word, Juliet. Don't deny yourself and don't prevent yourself from at least trying that thing that you're interested in. When you started off asking about my path and I was thinking about how do I describe my path? It's more like jumping from lily pad to lily pad or something (laughs) like that than, than going down a road that's already been created by someone. It's more like putting down a stone over that way, because that's the way I want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that you want to go, you may find that you make some choices that are unusual. Your timeframes may be considered unusual. If you are really intentional about that, you will see the connections between dots that other people don't see. Right. And that will work for you. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Just because 25 people have gone through a certain path doesn't mean that's your path. Right. Absolutely. One thing you also mentioned there, and I I wrote down on my little notepad here, confidence, because what you described in terms of even this creation of this new path and jumping from lily lily pad is requires a certain amount of confidence. And oftentimes I have found that 
many women in particular struggle with that confidence. I call it the confidence gap where you have what it takes. You have the education, you have the experience, you have everything that's necessary. And we're waiting for that 100% in order to take action. And I know that that's something that you, I think I heard you say one time, if you're 80% there, or am I misquoting you? Or did you say something to that that effect that you don't need to be 100% in order you, to move forward? You absolutely forward. do not need to be at 100%. I mean, if you're, think about it for a minute. If you're at 100% for everything, there's no room for growth. Right. So you can get there. And remember, confidence isn't that you have no fear and that you have no worry. That's not, that's not lack of confidence. If you have confidence, it doesn't mean that all those things have gone away. What it means is that you understand you have those worries, those fears, and those doubts, but you, you move forward anyway. Right. You jump in there anyway. And to your point about women, I think the studies have shown that men will look at a, at a uh, job description and if they have maybe 60% of the experience, they'll feel they're qualified for the job. And you, you said a hundred, I think sometimes women feel they have to have 110% (laughs) demonstrated they've already done everything. And the world does that to women a little bit as well. But I would say to your listeners, you are good enough. It's very unlikely that you are so silly is to aspire to something that is a decade ahead of what, of what you could really do. You're mm-hmm. smart enough to know that you are capable of doing that next thing that you're reaching for. Right. So go for it. And what's the worst thing that can happen? I often play that game with myself. Yeah. So what's the worst that can happen? You know, and the worst that can happen is often not that bad. Right. It's something I can live with. Right. Love that. Love that. Love that. There's so many nuggets here. And so when I think of our conversation, I'm just going to summarize a couple of the things that you've said. And I I want you to, Pam, get ready to share with our listeners how they can contact you. So that'll be after my little summary here. But you know, what I heard you say, number one, this whole notion of creating your own path, how important it is to not wait for something to be there necessarily. In your case, you created the job, right? And so the kind of job you were looking for wasn't there, you created it. The environment in terms of supporting your work life and your children's care wasn't there, so you created it. You leveraged relationships to to make sure that you were putting the right people and resources around you to support the direction that you wanted to go. And so how that's really important and you created it. Another key one that's really near and dear to my heart, of course, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. You didn't have the kind of diverse network that you wanted, so you created it. You started the dinner uh, and and invited people of all different backgrounds uh, to be a part of that dinner. And so I think, you know, the the last one I would say is how important it is to have confidence, not wait for 100%, but to go ahead and, and, and take action when you have prepared and when you know that you are ready to to move forward. Don't wait for it to, to feel perfect, but to move through your discomfort and take action and be confident in your decision. So those are all fabulous, fabulous nuggets. And I am so, so happy to have had this opportunity to have this conversation with you. So tell our listeners how people can get in contact with you. I think the easiest way to reach me is through LinkedIn, and it's Pam Reeve. I think I may be the only one on there. And send me a message, and I'll be happy to respond. Excellent. Excellent. That's 
P-A-M-R-E-E-V-E. Well, Pam Reeve, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today on Entering the Inspiration Zone. And I encourage our listeners, if you haven't had an opportunity to meet Pam, uh, feel free to go on and Google her. You'll see all the wonderful, wonderful things that she's involved with and has done. And Pam, thank you for your commitment to advancing women. And certainly you've been an inspiration to me and I'm sure will be to many others. So thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.